0: What's this said? My name's Benjer, and uh, I'm an alcoholic. And you guys have never been to like an AA meeting or a celebrate, Recovery. Okay, you guys know how this goes. Okay, let me try this again. My name is Benjer, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, ah, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. I do appreciate that. You've got this down. Now, um, I, I'm happy to report that it's been uh, probably about 17 years since my last drink, but even though... I have dressed up some things, and and, and I've made it seem like I have all things together. I've got plenty of other sins that bubble beneath the surface. I I seem like a calm person sometimes, especially when when things are going well, and and this is how things go, but I promise you, there's anger that just bubbles really, really close to the surface, and I may come across as a very confident person, but man, I, I... I, I just crave the attention of others and, and, and the, the um, kind of input that, that makes me feel like oh, other people say I'm okay. I mean, sometimes that, that just turns into complete people-pleasing for me, and it is not pretty. Now, at this point, I made several people in this room uncomfortable. Why? Because we don't usually talk about this and I'm a pastor, I'm on a platform, I've got a Bible right here, I've got a microphone. Like, we, don't, we don't usually do this. There is something about our world, and, and I don't know if it's just our culture and Western culture, or if this is a, I think it's a human thing in many ways, where we, we crave intimacy in so many ways. We crave that kind of connection, but we resist it at every level, and we especially resist it when we feel like, man, if I put myself out there, if I say what's going on, if I reveal a little bit about myself, ah, oh, I'm not sure it's going to go well. And so as we, as we crave that intimacy, as we crave that connection, that community with other people, we also, man, we, we resist it. We say, I don't, I don't think I can go there. I don't think I can do that. We become our own worst enemy. Uh, if you've been around a while, uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're new here today or you've missed this fall, let me just catch you up. We're in something that we call the path of, of flourishing. And, and what we're doing is we're, we're spending the fall walking through um, this, this path of flourishing, this idea that when Jesus died for our sins and, 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 and bought forgiveness for us by dying for us on the cross, when he rose again from the dead and defeated death, he didn't just save us from something, but he also called us to something. He offered his life And the life he has on offer is true flourishing. And so we've been kind of looking at, as we walk through Scripture, and especially the New Testament, what are some of the markers of this flourishing life? And it's not about what we do to produce this, as we've said time and time again, but what are ways, what are contexts that that God uses in our lives to, to help us walk in this life of flourishing that Jesus has on offer? The first one that we walk through is just beholding Jesus, this idea of abiding in Jesus, beginning relationship with him, treasuring him above all else, uh, seeking, uh, seeking to just understand who he is, why he loves as he does, and understanding who Jesus is and beholding him. But then we don't just stop there. Second pathway is following Jesus. We flourish by following Jesus. And, and when he, when he forgave us when he died on the cross, again, he called us not just from something but into something and to follow him where he leads. And, and he modeled how that works with his, his literal disciples here on earth, but, but we are also his followers. And so we follow where he leads and, and as we read the words of the things he taught and, and asked us to do, we, we follow where he's leading in obedience to that. He's, he's asking us to follow him. In the last few weeks, we looked at the third pathway, becoming like Jesus. This idea that that God is doing a work in us. Yes, when we stand before God, and this is extremely important, we can't miss this. When we stand before God, because of what Jesus has done for us, if we have surrendered our lives to Jesus and accepted that gift, we are forgiven, and, and Jesus actually clothes us in his righteousness. Not our own righteousness, but we are clothed with his his righteousness. And so when we stand before God, he sees us as holy and righteous. But there's this this reality that there's still this brokenness inside of us that hasn't quite been realized. And, and, And so Jesus transforms us from the inside out. It's not something we do to bring about flourishing and bring about transformation, but it's welcoming Jesus into our life through the Holy Spirit as he works in our lives and transforms us from the inside out. The fourth pathway we're looking at today is community. And I think in many ways this is, this is one of the trickiest ones, if not the, the trickiest one. Because it is easy to fake our way through this. Listen, you do this every day. You do this every day. So you go to work, you go to drop off your kids, uh, you go to Starbucks, whatever it is, and somebody says, hey, how are you doing today? What do you say? Fine, right? man. Y'all are really good liars. Good job. Good job. Remember, we resist this idea of community, but we can fake our way through it. And honestly, that doesn't just happen at work. It doesn't just happen at school. It doesn't just happen in our neighborhoods. But it happens here, it happens in the context of community united around Christ. So that's what we're going to look at today. And the first thing we need to realize, and this is, this is what I want to convince you of today, I'm not sure I'm going to get there. I hope I do. But but I want to convince you of this because we're going to be spending three weeks in this topic. And so today, my goal is just to to convince you that this is something that you need to pursue, that Jesus wants to do in your life. And here's here's what we're going to talk about. The true flourishing. I think I'm missing. I think, is that not working right there? All right. We're going to figure this out, okay? What I want to convince you of is that true flourishing cannot happen outside the context of true community. True flourishing cannot happen outside the context of true community. Now, many of us don't believe this. We believe that community is something that, that yeah, it's good for us and it's a means to an end, but, but it's not something that's necessary. When Jesus calls us, and we're going to see this today, Jesus calls us, to experience flourishing in him through community. So what is true community? Because we can fake our way through it. It's true community liking the same football team. It's true community sitting around the water cooler and and griping about your boss. You're all in it together. What is true community? We're going to define true community in, in a couple of ways. First, by what it is, and second, by what it does. And so the first thing, true community is interdependent people fully dependent on Jesus, True community is interdependent people, fully dependent on Jesus. We're going to um, turn to Acts chapter two, um, and if you can grab your Bible, um, you can turn there. If you didn't bring your Bible, if you forgot your Bible, there's a blue one underneath your seat, and you can grab that. We're going to be on page one thousand and eight. And if for some reason you don't have a Bible, you lost your Bible, you need one, you've never had one, and that Bible is yours. Take a pen, write your name in it. We want you to take that home. We're going we're gonna to unpack this idea. True community is interdependent people, totally dependent on Jesus. Now, the context of what we're about to read, Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke was a historian. He was a physician by trade. But he sought to kind of write down a biography of Jesus To write down um, who Jesus was, what he did, what he taught. And then the second book he wrote was what happened after Jesus died and rose from the dead. And that is the book of Acts. And what happens right before this passage that we're going to look at today is incredible. Because when Jesus died and rose again from the dead and and he ascended into heaven, his followers didn't know what to do. And Jesus said, "Just, just hang out for a while. And then something, a number of days later, something incredible happens, um, what's, what we know as the day of Pentecost, it was actually a Jewish festival, and there were, there were tons of people in Jerusalem at this time from all over the place, and the, these followers of Jesus gained this supernatural ability to speak in other language, and they go out and they tell people about Jesus, and Peter, Peter... Peter, who had just, just weeks before betrayed Jesus by saying, I don't know who that is. He, he curses. He curses from heaven. He says, I don't know who that person is. He, was, he lacked all kinds of courage. Peter, weeks later, gives this sermon, just says, this is who Jesus is. And 3,000 people come to know Jesus. It is incredible. And. What does a community do like that? I mean, like, it goes from, from maybe a couple hundred. I mean, there's, there's a core group of people, and then there's, there's a bigger group, but we don't know how many people were, were you know, kind of publicly following Jesus at that point because it was a dangerous thing. And 3,000, just like that, come to know Jesus. How does that work? This is how it works. Chapter two, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' Teaching, and that was just, these are, these are just the people who lived for, with Jesus for three years. So, this wasn't like absolutely heady, incredible stuff that nobody could understand. They said, Well, this is what Jesus taught, and this is what Jesus did, and this is who Jesus loved. And, and they devoted themselves to the teaching about Jesus and to the fellowship, which, which for us, you know, we might think, Yeah, I got fellowship. I enjoy a cup of coffee and a cookie with some people after church. No, that's not what it was. This is family, and to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved, those who had given their lives life to Jesus. Now a lot of times we read this, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you've probably heard this, this passage before many times, especially in the context of community. And a lot of times we, we read this and we think, oh isn't that nice, like it's just, just heartwarming, you know, there's a verse or two you can put on a mug and have around small group and say yeah, maybe we can put it on the wall of a church where like, uh, you know, the staff eats or where the fellowship hall is, or Whatever. If we saw this being lived out, like in person, if we realized, like Luke talks about this in six short verses, if we realized all that this meant, we would think these people are crazy. We would think these people are crazy. Because they were interdependent, fully dependent on Jesus. They had all things in common. Somebody needed something, man, I got something I can sell. You need something? I, I can just get rid of I don't need it. I've got our community. Now what does interdependent mean? Matt Chandler, a pastor in Texas, um, says that when, when we talk about community as interdependent, there's really two extremes that we can fall to. One extreme is to be um, independent and resist community, and another extreme is to be completely dependent. Like, like not just, yeah, I'm letting some people help me, but I, I've got nothing to offer whatsoever, and, and, and all of it is coming. I'm, you've got to do everything for me. And I think all of us at different times can struggle with both things, but I think in our culture, honestly, it's the independent extreme that we fall to. I mean, think about it. Following Jesus is a funny thing, and, and I think a lot of times we assume that it works the same way everything else in our life works. I mean, from the time when you were one, parents, you know this, um, around the age of one, kids uh, reach a milestone called walking. And first of all, I'm convinced that, that at least 50% of first steps taken are not actually first steps. So you've got the mom over there and the, and the kids toddling and they like fall forward and the mom's like, oh, they did it, they did it, they took that, you're like, that doesn't really count. And now we've got iPhones everywhere so we can kind of play that back in slow motion and say, no, that doesn't count, try it again. But you got kids right you got parents on both ends. Maybe the dad has the toy and say, "Come on, come on, you can do it." Or 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 you know, you walk towards me and you start off with holding the hands and the kids start up, you know, pulling themselves up on a coffee table and 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 you're just encouraging them on, "Come on, you can do it." I mean, it is a party. I mean, fast forward to elementary school, junior high, You're not sitting there, you know, looking at your kid on the couch saying, come on, Sally, you can do it, let's go, let's go, you can do it, Johnny, let's do it. No, you're like, for the last time, for the love of all that is holy, get up off the couch, walk across the room, and hang up your coat like I told you to. Does that just happen in my, I don't know. Does that just happen in my house? Because the idea is that they would be independent, Everything in our lives goes towards independence. In school, you might have a teacher helping. The idea is you learn it in class, you learn it together, you learn it with a parent. But eventually you'd be able to have self-mastery in that. You'd be able to do it yourself. You'd be independent. When you start a job, Maybe you go to a training, or maybe you've got like on-the-job training, and your boss or a coworker is helping you understand all these things, uh, how it all works, what the process is, that kind of thing. But the idea is that three or four months down the road, you wouldn't have somebody next to you standing over your shoulder saying, no, this is how you do it. The idea is they want you to be independent. Everything in our life leads towards independence. That seems to be our goal. And I think sometimes we carry some of that idea of independence into our spiritual life, into our walk with Jesus. Yeah, maybe when I become a follower of Jesus, maybe I'm struggling with some things, maybe I have some questions. But as time goes on, I should be more independent. I shouldn't need people. I shouldn't struggle with the same things. I shouldn't have the same questions. I shouldn't go through something and have doubts. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And friends, maybe, maybe there's just the reason you're here. Maybe somebody's here just to hear that. Time following Jesus should not equal more independence. Yes, by God's grace, he is transforming us. But it doesn't mean that there won't be times when questions come up, doubts come up, struggles with different sins come up, difficulties come up. The idea is not more and more independence. It is interdependence to be dependent on one another and to be fully dependent on Jesus. These people were fully trusting in God to provide for their needs through each other. They depended on one another, but as a community, they, they depended fully on Jesus. Second definition, what true community does, do we have these up here by now? We get that? Maybe, maybe not. True community leads to true flourishing. True community leads to true flourishing. Take a look if you flip over to First um, John chapter 1, and um, if somebody wants to shout out a page number, they can because um, uh, it would be on the screen, but we're going to be in First John chapter 1, and we got a page number in the blue Bible? 11. 11.22, thank you, Evan. And John was one of the closest followers of Jesus. And he lived the longest, and and he was actually exiled for his faith uh, at one point in time. And he wrote three letters in addition to the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. He wrote three letters, and it's aptly named 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And this idea that he walks through in in the first letter that he writes, this idea that he walks through, is this idea of darkness and light. That to walk in Jesus, because God is completely light, is to walk in light. And he says this, chapter 1, verse 5, 1st John. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. In other words, God is completely light. He is, he is the perfect being. Thank you I hate to pause too much, but can we just give a round of applause to our folks in the back? Thank you. I love this. In him is no darkness at all. God is completely perfect. He is in the light. If we say we have fellowship, with him, if we say we are following him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John. I mean, this is simple stuff. If you say you're following Jesus, you're in the light, but your life doesn't look like. I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about just, just living to follow him. Not actually, your life is a lie. And then he talks about the opposite. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, this is this is a twist. This is interesting. It's not okay. You're going to be a more moral person. You're going to study the Bible more, you're going to pray more. No, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, family. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, you might read this sentence and say, doesn't this go a little bit backwards? Like, I thought it was that Jesus saves us, and then we are in the light. And that's true. What John is doing, he's just saying, if this evidence exists, he's not saying, first you're in the light, and then Jesus' blood covers you with all sin. And he's saying, if you are, if this is true, then we know something else has happened down the line. So we actually logically should read this sentence backwards. If you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then we'll have fellowship with one another, and that will lead to walking in the light. True fellowship leads to true flourishing. Now the problem is we don't believe that. Why don't we believe that? Because we believe in independence. We believe that flourishing is not needing anybody else. But friends, it's not the way we were created. When you walk all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis and and creation, when God creates the heavens and the earth and and all of it is is good and then it's very good, he creates Adam. Do you know what he said when he saw Adam? He looked at Adam and he said, It is not good that man should be... Alone. This was before sin entered the world and brokenness brokenness entered the world. It is not good that that Adam should be alone. We, We were designed to live in community. In fact, many theologians point out that the triune God was the first community. Three persons in one God coexisting for eternity, forever, in perfect community. And then when sin and brokenness enters the world... When sin and brokenness enters the world, this rescue plan goes into place. That was, that, was, that was planned before the beginning of the world. It was going to point towards Jesus who would, eventually recon, who would eventually reconcile us to God. And God says to Abraham, listen, I'm going to make of you a huge nation. And he does, and it's Israel. And he calls Israel out of slavery from Egypt, and he sets up this nation in the middle of nowhere that's different than all the other communities because it's supposed to point to God and who God is to a holy God and eventually to the Messiah that would rescue us. But all of it was done in community. And then when Jesus shows up on the scene, this Messiah, this rescuer, when he asks people to follow him, he doesn't just ask them to follow him as individually, like, okay, well, you can follow me, you can follow me, but they follow him together. In fact, Jesus himself had community. There was the, the, lar- the crowds, and then there was a large group of people who followed Jesus, and, and, and he, they had responsibilities. They were sent out to, to tell people and prepare them for him. And then there was the 12, but even in the midst of that, there were three, Peter, James, and John, that he depended on. Jesus, because he was fully God and fully human, engaged in community. When Jesus dies, rises again from the dead, he leaves behind a community of people that would take this message to the ends of the earth. We were designed to live life and to follow Jesus in community. Now, at this point, I want to recognize something. First of all, there are people in this room who I know have been hurt by community. You say, "Benjamin, that's all well and good, but let me tell you about my experience. And maybe if you came up here and you shared that, I would say, yeah, that's tough. I may never want to be in another small group again or give another church a try. I get that. I get that this has been done wrong and sometimes in religious settings it's done very wrong. Or maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. You say, okay, this is all well and good but I didn't didn't come here for this. Somebody invited me. And maybe you've been hurt in some way by a community of people who are supposed to be centered around the love of Jesus. I get that. This is how Jesus designed us to follow him in the context of community. True community leads to true flourishing, and the only way we can experience true flourishing is in the context of community. So remember, we're going to be talking about this over the next couple of weeks, but I want to wrap up with just a few observations about community. First one is this. True community is united around Jesus, True community is united around Jesus. And we might say, oh yeah, of course, Jesus. I'm in a small group, we talk about Jesus. Yeah, we're united around Jesus. No, 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 no. United is a completely different thing. You see, in our culture, we tend to divide community along kind of lines of of being around people who are only like us. We only kind of gravitate towards people who look like us, who believe like us, who vote like us, who make the same kind of money that we do, who like to do the things we like to do, who live in the same kind of communities that we do, and we divide community along those lines. That's not the way it should be. D.A. Carson um, says this, I think the quote will be up here. D.A. Carson, and and there should be three. Did I really mess that up? There we go. D.A. Carson Um, It should say, start with, in light of this common allegiance. There we go. Dia Carson says this um, about community. He says, in light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says. And he commands them to love one another. Next slide. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. I mean, that's real community. So people who normally wouldn't hang out together and even people who would be enemies spend time in community together around this idea that Jesus is all we have. Jesus unites us in community. Friends, And and the primary way that we do small groups around here, community around here, is through small groups. But it's not the only way. The reason why we have small groups is because, honestly, we're terrible at community in our culture. And so we have to create these places where we say, no, we're going to lean into community. And small groups is one of that. Listen, if there's nobody in your small group that you disagree adamantly with about some things, if there's nobody in your small group, you see the sign around election time in their front yard, and you're like, oh, I can't believe that. There's not somebody in your community that because of their background, who they are, what they believe, or their perspective on life makes you feel uncomfortable. You're not doing community right. Community isn't believing all the same things, voting all the same way. Community is being united around Jesus first and foremost and recognizing that God has created us all differently and we're also broken in different ways. But what we all have in common is Jesus is the only hope we have. Second observation To grow in Jesus is to grow in community. To grow in Jesus is to grow in community. I talked about this a little bit earlier, but we have a tendency to think of community as a means to an end. Like, yeah, it's a great tool to have in my tool belt. I should probably get in a small group sometime. I should probably do this. It'd be really good. Maybe God wants me to do that. Maybe it would help me. But you know what? I can take it or leave it. Friends, To grow in Jesus is to grow in community. We were not meant to do this alone. We were not meant to follow Jesus just as individuals, but as a community. Jesus, on the last night before he was betrayed, uh, arrested, and eventually crucified, had dinner with his friends. And and this is one thing that he said. He said, John, uh, John 13, it'll be up here on the screen, verse 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And we're like, oh yeah, that would go nice on a little coffee mug. That's great. That's a great saying, Jesus. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Did you know that there's 59, there's at least 59 one another commands in the New Testament? You should love one another. You should encourage one another. You should bear one another's burdens. You are members of one another. There's nowhere in the New Testament that says, hey, you should get in a small group and experience community. Do you know why? Because they didn't have a category for experiencing a relationship with Jesus outside the context of community. It was of course you're going to be in community, so when you're in the midst of community, you're probably gonna screw it up, so here's some things you should keep in mind. And Jesus, this is one of the most radical things Jesus says, and I think we miss it every single time. He doesn't say, this is how people will know who you are, by how you vote, by how much you read your Bible, by how much you give, by how much you pray. He said, No, this is how people will know that you belong to me by how you love one another. Friends, in our Western context, we the church do not get this right most of the time. When was the last time somebody said, Man, they love one, they take care of one another, they love one another. There must be something different about Jesus. To grow in Jesus is to grow in community. Last observation. True community requires your true self. And I think this is where the rubber meets the road. True community requires your true self. Friends, Again, if you're you're in a small group or maybe you experience community centered around Jesus in another way, a couple things. First of all, if you're only showing up twice a month, small group that's supposed to happen every week, you're not bringing your true self to the table. You're attending that small group and they love you and when you need something, those people will be there for you, but, but you're not experiencing true community. You're not bringing your whole self to the table. And if you are pretending to be somebody you're not, you will never experience true community that leads to flourishing. And listen, I get it. In the context of a small group, um, there, there's different places to share things because, and, and I am so broken, it would take me weeks just to unpack all the brokenness inside of me. And so that all can't happen in a couple hours a week or maybe over coffee. But if, if you're pretending to be somebody you're not, if the time comes around for prayer requests and you're like, oh yeah, this is what's going on in my life, but you're like, "Uh, I don't know. Actually, just pray for my Aunt Sally. She's got, you know, ingrown toenail again. It's not true community. True community requires you, and this is so hard to bring your true self to the table because you don't know how somebody's going to receive it. And listen, there are times where we're going to screw that up. Just want to let you down right up front. I want to raise your expectations. There are times when we are going to screw that up. But true community requires your true self. And if you're bringing anything less than your, again, there's a time and a place for different areas to share things and to process through things. It can't happen all at once. But if if you're not leaning into community by continually giving of yourself and saying, this is really what's going on. This is really how I struggle. This is really who I am. You're not gonna experience true community. Now again, we're gonna be talking about this for a few weeks and so my hope, as we walk through this, as I said at the beginning, is that, that you would get a taste today some of, of community. Say, man, I need more of that. And maybe, maybe for you, you're already in a small group, and then, man, it's a healthy group, and you're loving it, and, and your group is dependent on one another. They take care of your kids when, when, when things are going on, and, and you're loving each other, and when somebody's having a difficult time, somebody's helping you out with meals or, or, or paying some bills. Listen, that's a good thing. Maybe for you, the next step is saying, well, there's some things that can't happen in that those two hours a week. Maybe I need to invite a couple of guys or a couple of women out for, for some coffee or, or a meal or something and say, Man, this is what I'm struggling with and I was wondering if you could be praying with me through this and, and maybe give me some accountability in this area. Or maybe if you're not in a small group, it's a good place, first place for you to start. Um, if, again, we're going to be talking about this for a few weeks, but for today, your next step could be as simple as visiting the porch. Even if you've been around for, for more than a few months, um, that's one of the things we do at the porch is help people get connected into small groups. And so you'd be welcome um, to chat with one of our staff members at the porch right after this gathering and say, man, I need to be in a small group. We can get you in one this week that works for you. My Friends, you will not experience true flourishing without community. It's just not how we were designed. It's not just a tool in the tool belt. It's how we were meant to experience Jesus. One thing I've noticed is that when, and and I hope this doesn't keep people from coming and meeting with me and sitting out, because sometimes you just need to speak with somebody. You want a pastor to pray. I get that. But many times, I'll be sitting down with somebody, man, these are the things that are going on and I'm struggling and again and again. I said, great. Who have you talked to about this? Well, nobody. Are you in a small group? No. Can I get you into one? Well, I don't know if I want to do that. Many times, the pattern I see of people who just continue to bump up against this wall and struggle, not all the time, but many times, they refuse to engage in community because it's scary. Listen, I get that. But if you're wondering, why do I keep struggling with these things? Why do I feel like God isn't there? Why do these things keep happening? I invite you to engage in community. And honestly, the opposite is true. A lot of times I'll hear about something going on in somebody's life through a prayer request and I'll check in and say, man, we'd love to serve you, what can we do? And they say, oh, thanks for praying for me, but my small group's got it. I've been walking through this with them. Friends, true flourishing requires true community. And it's something Jesus has provided for us. It's not something we create If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So it's not something we have to create ourselves, it's something he's already given us. It's just up to you and me if we decide to walk through that pathway. Let me pray for us. God, you know my heart, and you know all the times that I have resisted community. You know all the times that that I have thought, and I can do it on my own. I am better than this. I don't need to talk to somebody about this. And God, for that, I ask your forgiveness. And for all of us, I pray that we would be a people that leans into community. As As we learn next week what community looks like biblically and how we live that out, God, I pray that we would lean in. I pray that where we need courage to do so, that you would give us courage. I pray that where there are wounds from past communities of people who let us down, I pray that you would heal those wounds and you would bring us community that helps heal those wounds and shows us what true community can look like. And God, honestly, where we just simply need to be in obedience to you, where we need to say, listen, football is not more important. My my Wednesday night workout time is not more important. My own time, my own schedule is not more important. I need to lean into community and share my life with others. God, we need to just be obedient to you in that. I pray you would help us to do that too. But you are good to us. We love you. Thank you for the community you've given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.